Okay, Hannah, Connor, something I wanted to ask you all um, that I thought was really intriguing. What types that beyond sevens would you say you get along with best? Um, and what types do you feel like you are most naturally going to clash with? Not like this is something we should expect or like look for, but I just would say like in your anecdotal experience, what would you say is like the, the area of most likely tension? Guys, welcome back to Not My Type. This is Jack here. We have Malia as well, but we also are bringing in some guest stars today for our first Woo! ever interview. Kind of like a little mini panel. Um, today we have Hannah Ruby with us, um, and she is a self-press social uh, seven with three and one fixes. And we also have Mr. Connor Keim, who is a self-press social seven with three and nine fixes. And so today we're just going to kind of unpack a little bit of what it's like for them and what their experience with the Enneagram is and yeah, we'll just run with it. And for reference, um, I am also seven, I'm seven, two, eight, and I am social self-pres and then sexual last. So, um, if that helps any, any of you to determine things while we're talking. Also, can you just say hi so that people recognize your voices? Hi, I'm Hannah guys. (laughs) Amazing. Hi, I'm Connor. (laughs) All right. I'm so pumped about this, that you guys are the first people. This is so fun talk about a little bit for you guys whoever wants to go first um how has sevenness affected your life and your relationships okay um i can go first um so i guess i would say sevenness has affected my life um in a bigger way than i would say like my relationships i think Hmm. it has formed me um and yeah like the way that i the decisions that i make i think more than um like my relationships like i would i think i would still be well i like to think that even if i was different i would still be friends with the same friends that i'm you know Mm. i would be surrounded by the same community i think um but i think the decisions that i make has been affected a lot by um yeah my sevenness like your decisions with your friends or your decisions, like, like, like what you do with your time, like what kind of decisions? Yeah. I mean, I think everything, I think, um, definitely what I do with my friends, um, mm-hmm. like just my role, I guess I would say in, in my friend group, um, is probably one of the biggest impacts in my friend group. I feel like a lot of times I'm the one who's um, not really organizing the activities, um, but the one who's sort of like rallying everyone to, mm. um, you know, do something fun, do something um, new and exciting. Um, you know, when I, I, I would hate to just like be with a group of people and just like staying, um, like when we were in college, just like staying in the apartment for the entire weekend and not not doing anything, not going out, not, um, right. you know, ex- exploring the new um, places, whatever it is. Like, um, I feel like I'm generally the one in my friend group who is um, like the, the charge of excitement, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Like the, the let's go do something. Like, why are we all sitting down, you know, prone to, to feeling stagnant? Yeah. <laughs> Hannah, do you feel that too? 
I think I was actually listening to him and kind of questioning my own role in that way, mostly because I think that my seven-ish comes out a lot more in my energy, like my Mm. personal vibe or something in the room when I'm in the room, more so than it does in my schedule. Like I think that I'm in, especially my family, that's probably where relationally my seven-ish-ness comes out the most. Um, And it's, it's definitely not like uh, pushing everyone in my house to always be doing something or are not even like encouraging people to be super out there and going out and doing all the experiences, even though I love to do that. And I'm, I'm definitely not a homebody, but I, I think the, the ways that seven-ishness has like increased the people around me in is probably just energy. Like if there's just like a, a heightened amount of emphasis on everything and specifically in optimism, like mm. I don't, that's just a thing because of my family and the people that are in my family just are not typically, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say typically, but not a lot of my family are as optimistic as I am. And I don't think that that's always a seven trait per se, but I do think that the natural tendency to look at the positive side of life is mm-hmm. a more seven-ish trait than others. Um, and so I think that's probably where relationally it comes out the most for me rather than it being a scheduling kind of thing. Um, but that also might be something to do with my tendency to gain energy from being alone or resting. So, yeah, Hannah, you and I were talking about that a few weeks ago. I remember, and you were just arguing that, like, you would say that you're an introvert and that you recharge alone, um, right? You would agree with that? Absolutely. Okay, Connor, what do you think about that? Like, would you say that you're an extrovert or an introvert? Absolutely not. No, I'm definitely an extrovert. um yeah I I do not like being alone even if I'm tired like I love being surrounded by people and being like like yeah living with four other guys and like constantly being with them was like amazing for me I I love that that sounds extremely overstimulating to me (laughs) even the idea honestly of living with four extremely extroverted women like that even sounds extremely overwhelming to me so very different i wanted to say something about um hannah what you're saying about optimism i thought it was interesting to consider that all of us here well the three of you are sevens and i have a pretty significant seven fix and i was just realizing i wonder how that's affecting like even this conversation right now like you know just like that that mental space being dominated by an optimistic perspective, because I think Hannah, you were saying like, maybe not, that's not true of all sevens, but I would argue that to some degree, um, optimism is like inherent, that it's necessary for the seventh neurosis to function. Um, and I just was intrigued, like Connor, do you also feel, or Malia, both of you, like, do you, do you guys also feel like you are more optimistic than your fellow like housemates and stuff or whatever? Um, I would say like, well, I lived with a nine, like my roommate, um, <clears throat> for two years and, and nine is also a very positive outlook, uh, type. So 
maybe not more optimistic, but I definitely see my optimism kind of being over, feeling like it's, it's too much sometimes for other people, because I think that the optimistic viewpoint of the seven plus the like adventurousness of the seven can, can come off as like, why are we doing nothing? Like we have to be doing something because everything is a possibility. And if we're not doing anything, then we're literally wasting our time. Um, and I think that that can be really overwhelming to people, or at least I feel sometimes that I am overwhelming because people are like, I want to be introspective right now. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, we could be like climbing a mountain and you, like, you want to talk about your feelings. Like I'm all about talking about feelings, but I think that is where the, the optimism can kind of be like overdone or feel oversaturated with other people because I, I'm just not one to like sit around and think about all the ways that could go poorly, you know? Um, I've never really left a conversation less, po- uh, less optimistic than I started. Even if something is wrong, like I always end the conversation more po- uh, positive about it. The goal is an optimistic outlook. Even if For you're sure. not in it, the goal is to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Connor, what would you say about that? Like, your optimism in reference to your family or also like people you've lived with or whatever? Yeah, I think um, the biggest way that I see myself as like optimistic is probably in my relationship with my fiance. Um, I think a lot of times like when we're trying to make this like big decisions, like because we've been making a lot of those recently, um, I feel like I'm normally the one who just thinks like, you know what, it's going to work out like like, even if we make the wrong decision, we're going to be fine. Mm. And I don't really think like, like, oh, well, yeah, we might actually not have enough money for that, but like, it would be awesome and it would help us. And so we just, just get it, you know? (laughs) Right. That lack of planning because everything's going to like, quote unquote, work out is so, it's so real and like low-key detrimental. I mean, there was a, there was this time like two years ago where I was 11 days away from flying out of the country and I I like checked my passport (laughs) and it was expired by like a year and I was like wait what (laughs) because I just assumed that it would everything was fine and then I freaked out because I hadn't thought to look at it like I was like oh whatever like it's gonna be great and you know what it was great. Like I got a new passport in like uh, six days, which is unheard of. I had like my Senator, like sign me a letter, like everything and like send it to Washington DC. But I think that I, the thing is like, th- it worked out. And so that's not good. Like I, yeah. I Cause then it reinforces the cycle. It's yes. like, I can get away with anything. Exactly. I was uh. telling, I was telling Anna, like, the other the other week that I was like sometimes I just wish I like faced all these consequences because I never fix anything because it always works out like I never do better (laughs) because I don't have a motivation to Hannah what does your face mean can you talk about that I was just I I think it's I think that's so funny because it tells you a lot about the people that Malia is surrounded by right because for example, the people of great influence in my life are the opposite of that way. They are not um, people who are just easygoing, laid back, like, oh, it'll all work out. Yes, you go, Malia. 
And so in my, in my circumstance, that would almost feel like discipline was coming towards me. If I, if that was, if that wasn't all planned out, you know what I mean? Like people around me without that positive outlook would kind of be scared that I wasn't going to be able to go on my trip or they would be freaking out because I wasn't responsible enough or fill in the blank because their outlook on the situation wouldn't be everything's going to work out and be fine. Their outlook would be nothing is okay and you are not able to cope as a human being. Mm. Um, And so I think it just, it tells you a lot about your community and the people that you're really influenced by, even if you yourself have the same outlook. Like Malia and I, in that case, would have had the same outlook. I would have been like, oh, that's a bummer, but you know, it'll all work out. I'll figure it out. (laughs) The people around me would be freaking out. And so that's, it just says something, right? It says something about the people we choose to be around and also that we don't choose to be around, um, aka family, you don't get to choose your family, but it has a huge profound impact on you. So. And I think without those people, like I probably would face consequences way more than I do. You know, like when something goes awry, I look to everyone I know, I'm like, so, <laughs> so funny <Help> thing. Me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and everyone's like, okay, do this, this, and this. And I'll be like, oh, cool. Okay, then it's going to work out because like I, I, I trust that my community is going to be like, it's going to come in and rush in and save me, you know, and, and every single time it kind of has. Um, and I think that's where you see my, my instincts come out. Cause I'm like, oh, well, everything's going to be great. I just need to ask the right people. I just need to ask enough people. And then someone will have an answer, you know, it may be Google. It might be, you know, like the, the only reason I knew to go to the center senator was because I told my mom and my mom asked her book club and like a random lady in the book club was like hey you should go to the senator (laughs) that's literally the only reason so yeah I it totally does say something about who surrounds you because the people bail me out all the time and I am like shouldn't even I I don't I don't deserve it but do you guys I have a question do you guys feel like you're positive outlook or lack thereof also contributes to your the amount of trust that you put in people do you think that because you're more positive in viewing your surroundings and whatever else is going on in your life do you think that inherently makes you more trusting of people that you may or may not yeah yeah I get what you're saying as well I'm also look how the tables have turned the interviewee interviewing but um I will say I think that I, I am probably more optimistic than most people I know. And I think that also means that like, at least for me, that I'm very quick to trust people. Like I, I started a new job yesterday actually. And they were all, all my coworkers were just like in, in foul moods on my first day there. And so I started like just getting to know them a little bit and asking questions. And I realized like, that's, I think that's a big thing that makes life really easy for me, but also makes me like perhaps a little bit too open is that I, like, I just, I have no expectation of like people being untrustworthy, even if they are untrustworthy, I don't expect them to be. Connor, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, that's, that's a trait that I've seen in myself too. Um, that, yeah, I, I don't even, it's not even a thought in my head that someone would be like a danger, you know, like I just immediately think like, if this is someone, like if they get to know me, like, you know, they're going to love me and I'm going to love them. Like, you just need to have a conversation. 
And um, yeah, I think a lot of that probably has to do um, just with the way that I see people, the way I see life and the way that I, you know, assume everything is going to turn out great and everyone's going to, you know, yeah, be, be happy and be optimistic and just like I am, but uh, yeah. Hannah, what do you think? Because I'm, I have a very interesting thing to mention after you give your two cents. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about it in a sense that I think that sometimes the way that I expect other people to treat me kind of attracts that exact response. And let me, let me kind of explain what I mean. Like in the way that I expect people, even random strangers, like I was in Target today and I was in like the technology section and a random guy, I was just standing next to a guy and I, I just like was friendly. Right. I, I smiled and I, I wasn't, you know, trying to make a conversation, but the guy felt like he was comfortable around me. And then he had a question. So he came up to me and asked me the question and we talked about his kid and he was looking for something for his son and I helped him find it. Right. So it wasn't that I was expecting the worst of him or I was expecting us to be friends going in off the bat, but my trusting, my trusting nature was saying, oh, this guy looks like he's nice and we would have a good conversation and I'll be friendly and see what happens. And of course him, that, that response then triggers his kindness towards me, which then kind of creates this cycle of us just continuing conversation. So I feel like sometimes our outlooks attract what we expect or what we, what we want. Okay. That's so interesting that, first of all, you asked this question. This is a great question. Um, but that you both answered like that, because I would say, even though I share so many like positive outlook traits with you guys, I am probably the least trusting of people in this group right now. Um, and I think that's because of my eight fix versus your nine fix and your one fix. Like, we, uh, Jack and I were talking about this the other week that like the eight fix has this extra idea that there need to be boundaries in relationships and they're like, there need to be boundaries between people. Um, and also I'm social first, which also has this whole, like, there's an in crowd and there's an out crowd kind of idea, but those things combined, like, I am super trusting that like people aren't going to kill me or like, you know, whatever. Like there was one time where I hitchhiked to this restaurant from the airport and <laughs> like I asked this random lady to like take me in her Uber and she was like, yeah, sure. And like we went to her house and like <laughs> it was fine. And she like drove me to the restaurant and like my family was like, why? who is that? And I was like, oh, that's Cheryl. <laughs> um, so like, I'm very like trusting of people generally. Um, but there is this level of like, I assume there's manipulation happening sometimes when there's not, you know, like it, there's a different kind of level of distrust. It's not like I distrust my safety, but it's that I distrust that they're telling me what they are actually thinking or that they're lying or something. Yeah, I, I don't know if, I, if it's that I just feel like I need to be more careful uh, with setting expectations. I think part of that eight fix that you're talking about, Malia, is that like, I mean, the body space represents how we like, how much we assert our presence and how the ego is protected from being affected, basically. I mean, 
I think the eight fix, something that comes with the eight fix necessarily is this like awareness and cueing into power dynamics and like who has power and who does not. Um, mm-hmm. And something I've noticed and, and just like observed in general is that people with eight fixes will say things like that to their loved ones. They'll be like, why are you trusting this person? They're manipulating you. And it's not like, no, like anyone can say that of course, but there's this big, there's this big watchful eye that's willing to say like, someone's going to get you. So be careful because I would be looking out for myself the same way or whatever, you know, like that's, I think that's part of the eight fix. Yeah. I definitely see that with nines. I know I'll be like, Hey, you need to say no, you know, or like, you need to like, not do everything that they're saying, even with people with nine fixes. I'm like, you don't have to, like, you can say no. And like, you can take a step back. And I, I, I don't think that, that that's really fair of them to ask that of you or so, or like questions like that. I'm like the, one of the only people who will like bring those up. Well, just as a, as one of my friends, you've given me like explicit advice in that way before. Hmm. Like, uh, or do you think you're a little too trusting of that person? Uh, do you really want to give that person more of your time? Do you really want to have that conversation now? Like those kinds of questions. It's not to keep me from being who I am, but it is, it's like in a protective way. Hmm. I could definitely see that in you. Uh, Connor, I wanted to ask you something just about this general topic. Cause I think, I mean, you have a nine fix and something I've noticed about you is that like, I don't think of you as like a, as like a pushover necessarily, but I've noticed that like there have been group events where I've had to say to you like, Hey, just like make a decision or like assert yourself. And you'll be like waiting for other people to be got like, would you say that's true? Like, how do you think having a nine fix makes this different for you than having an eight fix or a one fix or whatever? Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely don't think that I am, um, assertive. I wouldn't describe myself as assertive. Um, I think, especially when it's with a group of people that I am close with, like a group of friends, like when we're doing a game or something. Um, I think my main objective is to like, make sure that everyone is enjoying their time and like having fun, even if it's at like my expense. So like, yeah, like when we're creating it, when I'm like creating something, I'm creating it to make sure that everyone else has like a good experience not so that like my vision is shown and when there's backlash i'm like okay i'm just going to change this for you so that it's like you can be happy and you can be fulfilled in like this activity and like i feel like i feel most fulfilled um when it like creating something so that others can feel fulfilled if that makes sense like yeah no that's good that's good it's interesting i think this is like i think this is why trifix is sort of important because i would say that like I'm a pretty relational person as a two, but I wouldn't describe myself as a people pleaser that way. You know, like maybe I can be a person pleaser, but I wouldn't say that like in a group setting like that, I feel any obligation to like, to like make sure, make sure everyone, like I want people to have fun, of course, but like if it gets dysfunctional and like things are falling apart, I'm going to just be like, yo, everyone stop right now. Boom, whatever. And asserting your, asserting your voice is different than asserting yourself. I think sometimes because you can be asserting your voice for others, but asserting yourself is a lot, it feels a lot more selfish, I guess you could say. So I, I have seen you, Jack, be like willing to speak up uh, on behalf of others and sometimes on behalf of yourself, but like, especially on behalf of others, you're really willing to, to speak up. And I would say the same for you, Connor, like 
being able to assert your voice on behalf of like people who are trying to say something or uh, who have an opinion who they're and they're not being heard is different than being like I'm asserting my own wants and myself and what I want right now. Okay, Hannah Connor, something I wanted to ask y'all um, that I thought was really intriguing. What types that beyond sevens would you say you get along with best? Um, and what types do you feel like you are most naturally going to clash with? Not like this is something we should expect or like look for, but I just would say like in your anecdotal experience, what would you say is like the, the area of most likely tension or least likely tension? Yeah. Um, I think for me, I probably get along the best with nines or sevens, ironically, mostly because <laughs> they annoy me the least. <laughs> um, and, and I really do say that sincerely. Like I, I think about even my closest friends and so many of them are nines or sevens and I don't know why. And I like, it's, it's just the way it is, I guess. But um, maybe it, I think it might have a lot to do with, they can match the amount of excitement and zeal for life that I have, that I think that when other people struggle to match that with me, it feels frustrating or tiring. Maybe tiring is the best word for it. It feels tiring. And I feel like I have to tone myself down in order to be with um, other types sometimes, um, especially if they have um, a lot more like concern for their spatial awareness. Like I think I, think I struggle just keeping myself in um, sometimes. And so when I'm around a lot of people who are very hyper aware of just like their tendencies or social norms or even just like body space, sometimes I, I struggle in that, in that time. I just have to like mold myself kind of to their expectations of me a little bit more. Um, Connor, what kinds of people do you get along the best with? I was actually, I was also going to say um, nines for sure. And sevens, um, sevens, sevens sometimes. Sometimes I think I just like to be like the center of attention. And I like to be the one who's like hype and excited. So it's like when there's a bunch of other people that are the same way that I am, I'm like, ah, uh, it's not really just me here. But um, <laughs> yeah, but also I think ones, ones for me, I think, probably because I feel like all of the ones that I'm friends with see me as this like adventurous and like um, crazy person who I like, I just love being that guy, you know? And like, I just love being around them and they're like, oh wow, like you're so crazy. Like, what would you do? And like, if this happened and I'm just like, oh yeah, it's just me. Like, I'm just a set, you know? So I, <laughs> I just, I love that. <laughs> okay, well, the classic positive outlook move. I. I intended to ask you both primarily about who you clash with and you both were like, here's who I get along with. <laughs> so, so try it again, but include, include the negative reality this time. Okay. Um, so probably on the negative spectrum, um, I, I have found that eights tend to put off a little bit too much aggression and anger and angst for me. 
And specifically, um, I think like in conflict settings, maybe it's just the eights that I happen to be close to, but a lot of their physical presence is quite intimidating for other people, even if it's not me. And I feel the need sometimes to defend other people from eight energy. And so I, I think eight sometimes make me feel like defensive automatically because I feel like, oh, they're going to come at me with all this like energy, like this aggression. And I don't, I can handle it, but other people can't. And it makes me feel like I need to stand up to a bully, even when they're not being a bully. And then I, I would also say force can sometimes be extremely annoying. Um, and, and obviously not always. I love, I love all of, I love all the types. Okay, guys, I have friends and all the types. but I do think that I like the tendency for force to kind of wallow <laughs> and sit in their misery uh sometimes <laughs> frustrates the crap out of me because my tendency is to say well okay no one is putting you in that misery why are you sitting in it and I I think as I've gotten more just like spiritually and relationally mature um those things you know, those things are my natural tendency to think and operate in, but that's not, obviously that's not how I come off to people. Um, and I think that I've learned so much in, in experiencing those moments where people were actually hurt by my response to, in order to try to help, um, that I've realized that a lot of the things that I think are my strengths are actually my weaknesses in a lot of situations because people get hurt by what I think is a great thing about me. <laughs> and then I have to go back and fix it, you know? And I feel horrible because I obviously want to be a good friend and a good family member and um, love people in my life well, but sometimes my frustration with those other things and other types gets in the way. What about you, Connor? Yeah. Um, wow. First of all, Hannah is so self-aware and I'm so impressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> And second, um, yeah, I, I eight definitely. Um, I would agree with that. Um, but I was gonna say, I think the one for me that is so hard is twos, just because I feel like I just have no clue how to be like. I feel like I find myself getting lost in how to be a good friend with a two, you know. And some of like my yeah. best friends are twos. But it's just like, I feel like there's just such a disconnect that I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hannah, do you want to talk about that? I mean, I was just going to say how much that is relatable to me, mostly because I think the one thing that I cannot stand in a relationship is feeling like I, I'm only in the relationship because the other person needs me and that is not always helpful and it's not always I, I don't think it's always godly in, at least in my like viewpoint in my belief system like I don't always think that that's the right way to see it um but I just can't stand that and I, I really had I've had to wrestle a lot in relationships with that um mostly because I feel the natural 
tendency in myself is just to push back and say, oh, okay, you need me. Well, now I'm just going to put up a nice emotional wall there. So nobody will need anybody here and everyone will be fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And so that, but that really makes a lot of twos in those situations feel cut off because honestly, they are being cut off. Um, and that's not always my strongest suit. So I, I've had to, again, I've had to learn how to take boundaries, take the um, advice of the people around me um, to have those relational boundaries and space and not be manipulated, but also at the same time understand that that's not people's intentions. <laughs> Um, I would agree a lot with that. I mean, I, there are definitely other types. I think it's also our culture that we there just happen to be a lot of twos, but I, I think twos are definitely one of the types that I clash with the most and feel like, I think what why I clash with them is that they're the type that I feel like I'm most disappointing. And so it, it's like very stressful, I think, to constantly feel like you're letting people down or letting certain people down. And so it's easier for me to just think like, oh, well, it's unhealthy to feel like disappointed by me. So I'm going to do the selfish thing and just kind of like prance away. <laughs> um, and that's like really not very loving um, oftentimes. And uh, but I think there's this there's this idea of like there are expectations there that I feel like I didn't set or didn't say yes to. And I'm not really sure when I chose those um but I feel like they're there and I think that's also that that boundaryness that I was talking about earlier and assuming manipulation is that like I'm very prone to assuming that people are manipulating me to to do things that they want and I like just I am like so quick to be like oh well if that's what you want I'm gonna give you the opposite of that and it's like horrible but it's it's so like my my instinct is just like I, I feel like in my, like pridefully, I know exactly what you want from me. And I'm, and because I think I know that I'm going to give you the exact opposite of that because somehow that's going to like love you in the long run. Cause it's going to teach you how to live without me or like live without this expectation or something, which is super like trashy, honestly, but <laughs> um, Connor, I see you nodding your head a lot. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah. Yeah. I think in my head, I have this idea that like, I want everyone to be just as independent as I am. And in order yeah. to like, make sure that everyone is like, starting to become more like me, when people especially twos like ask me, Hey, can I help you with something? I'm just like, No, I don't need your help. I don't need like anything from you at all. And to twos, especially I feel like that's just like a literal like stab in the heart. Like, you know, but for me, it's like, mm. no, 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 no. Like, you'll be better when you're more independent and you don't need to help people. Like, you'll be, you'll be stronger. But like, that's You'll just, be better you know, when you're like this. me. Yeah. <laughs> we're like the independence police of the types. Like, we're like, all right, guys, let's just make sure everybody's healthy here, even though it's actually not always healthy. Yeah. It's funny that you brought that up because like, I... I wrote down that I wanted to ask you guys about in general, like your thoughts about independence versus dependence, because I've noticed that like, I mean, like this isn't like unique to me. This is part of like two-ish ego structure, but I just like, I get r really frustrated when, when other people are like overtly independent for no real reason. 
and like that was something I, I was actually like journaling about that today just writing down like this I recognize that like when I'm not actually like taking care of myself mentally and emotionally and just like tending for uh, my soul spiritually like I get frustrated with people that I actually am not even upset with and like maybe this is just part of tuitionist but like I, I was realizing like just like I'm, I'm a very, very extroverted person. It doesn't take much to make me feel kind of lonely or um, just like yearning for connection. And then I thought about like, there were some people that I felt like I hadn't connected with um, in a little while. And then I, I didn't even realize this until like you guys were talking about it, but like all of those people, I had a list of like four different people that I was missing or that I felt like, that I felt like tempted to be frustrated with for no real reason. Um, and they were all sevens. And I was just realizing like, is this like, it's not like people owe me things, but the ego structure that I've like learned to be addicted to over the course of my life is operating under the presumption of like others owe me things. And so like when other people are forcibly independent, it's like, it feels like a, it feels like a, there's no space for you here, period. It's like get out kind of thing, um, which maybe it's supposed to be, but I, I just would be intrigued to hear your, like, your thoughts on independence and dependence and all that. I think that is exactly the clash. Like I think that exact narrative happening simultaneously is why it's so like frustrating to both parties both the two and the seven in relationship because the two is like i want you to owe me things correct it like is that the way that you were explaining it jack like i want you to well owe it's me like things? it's of course of course it's not conscious like that it's not like like i think that's part of it but i don't think it's like i actually think that by any means it's more just like I want to be close to you. That's what it is. Mm. That's like, it feels like I want us to be close. And a lot of, like, there are a lot of people that I would call really close friends um, because I meet people and then I'm like instantly like, oh, we're close friends, even if that's not necessarily true for everyone's life. But that's just like the way I think about things sometimes. And I realize like, I, I don't mean to, but I have this like, I have this like elaborate vision in my head of how close um, I can be with someone. And then when it doesn't meet that vision exactly, it feels like personal or like they did it to me, even though it wasn't really them doing anything to me. So that was a much longer answer than you were asking for. But it's not like I want them to owe me things explicitly, but I just want to, I want us to have like, like promised space, like promised land in each other's lives. Yeah. And a conversation I've had with a, a lot of people with, with a lot of friends is like, often I just don't have that same expectation in my head or like, I just don't have that similar like idea in, in my head that, that I feel like I could just call you like, and call you close and call you in three months. And we would just be as close as you might say, but not, not, it wouldn't look the way that you're, you think it looks like. And I think that that's the clash is that my ideal relationship that incorporates my my seven-ish fantasies doesn't look like your two-ish fantasy it and I think there's that's the clash is that we're both trying to fight for this like expectation that we have like because even though I would like to say like oh well I really don't have very many expectations like I do they just look like different than yours you know like my expectation is like so much freedom and so much stuff and that is still an expectation that I have to wrestle with and it's just being shown more because like someone else has an expectation that's like completely reversed to mine. I was thinking about like that just now as you were talking and realizing like, I think it's like, we think about the nature of object relations roots and how like two and seven, they both have an issue with being helped. I think I realized like 
twos don't feel like they can ask for help. So they have to like elicit that response from other people. Uh, but like the reason that's happening is that they're, they've severed their sense of need for guidance or support um, from that protective caregiver and then over identified with the nurturing caregiver. So like basically two wants to play mother no matter what the relational situation is. And seven as a frustration type, that's also an aggressive type. They are specifically frustrated with, with the nurturing function. So it's like the, the seven-ish ego is built around this idea of like, I don't want your nurture. I want to nurture myself. It's, and it's sort of like this, that's like why the issue is gluttony, I guess, because it's like more, 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 more. But I was realizing like, I think it's that when sevens are like overtly independent and I get upset about it, it's because like my personality structure is invested neurotically in like playing the mother role and sevens are invested in like moving away from the mother and like mothering themselves without anyone else mothering them. Yeah. Did you guys want to key in on the, um, that idea of independence versus dependence? Yeah, that, that has been something that, especially now that I'm, you know, I'm 22, I'm just about to move out into my own place for the first time. I'm, you know, getting a job. And this has been something that I think like everyone who is sort of in this age range is like, you know, dealing with a little bit, but for me, it feels like really heightened. Like, um, so like right now I am um, living with, I'm back living with my family after college and I'm waiting like another three weeks until I can move into my own place. And this has been like, it's just so difficult. It's so difficult for me to even like talk to my family just because I thrive so much on my independence and taking care of myself. And, you know, I feel like I got like a little taste of that when I was in college. And then now it's like, oh man, I'm just right back into it. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm most myself when I'm taking care of myself completely and wholly. And, and now it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a struggle. And I think that's definitely um, a huge part of the way that I interact, especially with my family is when I is, you know, my amount of independence that I have for sure. What about you, Hannah? Well, for one, I've always somehow been described by other people to be an independent person. And so even when I was young in, in like school, my teacher parent conferences would always go something along the lines of, oh yeah, Hannah, you know, she's doing her homework, she's doing everything. She's super independent. And I think that growing up, like that title was always just kind of put on me as like a default. Um, and so a lot of the time I almost was empowered by that. I was like, yeah, I am independent. That's a good thing. Like I can be there for other people and defend other people more because I'm independent somehow. And I chose to see it that way. But then I think more recently, I've seen how that can tend to sometimes push people away, especially in my relationship with my boyfriend, Isaac. I think sometimes like that was an area or especially early on in our relationship where I had to just be super clear in my communication because he would take certain like behavioral and normal patterns from my life as me pushing him away or like me not wanting time with him or me not being intentional when that was actually me just like 
living my life. And in my head, I was like, oh yeah, I'm just an independent person. Like I don't need a boyfriend. Um, but that was actually really painful for him. And um, to learn how to operate in a way that wasn't like attaching myself super heavily to someone in an early relationship, um, while also making sure that he knew that he was wanted in my life and that I was actually willing to put in the effort and like be really intentional with him, um, specifically with my time. Because I think for me, um, my independent streak comes out a lot with my timing and my ability to just kind of say, okay, I'm done here and like walk out of a situation. And I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad for people. I don't feel bad for their emotions. I don't feel bad at all. And so sometimes people who have just like really deep connection with maybe like personal quality time, that can be really harsh sometimes. And they're like, how, how are you that okay with not being with me right now? Like, how are you able to do that? That's so annoying. Um, and so, yeah, I just think that that's probably where my independent streak, or if you want to call it that, has come out like in the harshest way. Connor, can you relate to that at all? Oh my goodness, yes. I think like oh being being um in a relationship with someone else is like so hard because I feel like it took so long for me to try to figure out how it works. Because especially with like when you're saying with quality time, like yeah, Katie was always asking me like why like me like she needs to spend more time with me than I need to spend with her right and that like doesn't make sense in her head and I'm just it's not I'm like it's not that I don't want to spend time with you it's just that like you know this is just the way that I I am this is the way that I act and um yeah it's 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 a hard transition I think one of the most maturing experiences that I've I've had is because I've been forced to like think about someone else right and like I can't be completely independent in order to have a relationship with someone else. Like you need to sacrifice some things and, and grow for someone else. And that has been um, one, of the, one of the most rewarding um, things and to help me grow is to be, yeah, in a, in a relationship with someone. I've also had that same exact conversation with people. The, the, the conversation where you're like, I, need, I don't need to spend as much time with you as you do, as you need to spend with me, which is such a weird and like on it's not awkward I guess I would say but it's just like how it doesn't sound good (laughs) it just does not sound good coming out of your mouth I think it's interesting to like I mean I've been on the receiving end of that kind of conversation not frequently but it has occurred um maybe not that conversation but I just have had situations where people will be like they're just like, oh, well, I'm just like one of those people. And it's like, if we don't talk for a while, we can pick up right where we left off, whatever. And I'm like, so like, is that like, does no one else get any say in that? Like, that's just like a, like a statement of, I guess I'm just wondering, like, where's the line, you know what I'm saying? Like where people get to be independent and like, also like, I don't know, like, how do you, how do you keep a relationship and how do you tend to a relationship without like being on one end of the spectrum way too far where like you're completely enmeshed and there's like no space to breathe or like, you don't really invest it at all. Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, if so, if I had it my way, I would not be and like, you know, in my in my like sinful nature, and in my immaturity as a seven, if I had it my way, 
I would not be like very intentional with a lot of people. I would just like see who I see and have like have a fun conversation with, you know, the people that I see as I, as I see them, like, you know, spur the moment type of thing. Because it feels like that super intentional quality time, like planned out each week is like, that's like hard work that I don't really want to do. And I would rather just run into you and like have a spontaneous adventure, you know? But I think um, that's not fair, right? Like as we mature um, as sevens, we need to sacrifice um, those patterns of like, you know, not being intentional and, and say like, if I actually want to have like a good friendship with someone, I'm going to have to like meet them at where they are. Right. And not like, you know, text them four hours every day, but like go out to lunch with them once a week or like hear about what's going on and, you know, try to make an effort, you know? And honestly, I think the key to that is, is what I've learned. And honestly, I learned this when I thought I was a two, which was a rough lesson because I was like, why are my so bad at this when this is supposed to be what I'm like neurotically really good at? <laughs> it was like, it was really rough. But, um, what I learned was like, for me, often social interactions like that was, was my existence of gluttony. Like that was gluttony for me. It was, I can have a little bit of everyone, but not a lot of a few people to where I have to like be responsible for it because that lets me like enjoy everyone and enjoy all of these things, but also not to the point where I feel locked in and I feel trapped in anything. So basically what I learned over this, even this past year was like, I felt like I needed to pick less people. Like I needed to be with less, but be more intentional with the, with the few. Um, and so in that, what you were talking about, Connor, in learning to be more intentional, like you can't, I can't be intentional with everyone that I would have been like half intentional with. And so growth looked like, I mean, like even Hannah is a great example of this, like in my own life, this past uh, year, like Hannah was someone was like, I'm going to be intentional with Hannah. And we, I'm very proud of us. Like we got coffee every week, once a week, uh, if not more. Yeah. And, and that was like super growing for me because it, it, it actually meant like compromising and not, not just like compromising but um but doing doing less uh and also doing more I guess at the same time I'm realizing that like what you're saying in contrast with my own tunis is like I think that my first thought is like how do you not how is that like enough for you that like bouncing surface like connect 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 and but like none of it's really deep and I think I'm realizing that like of course like two comes with this natural yearning for intimacy and like closeness between people. But I think part of what makes this conversation different and like, it's not just the three of you are sevens, but you're also all sexual last. Um, and I was just thinking about the fact that like the sexual instinct is about this like giving of self and taking of the other in a way so that like whatever it is I choose to interact with is like I I'm merging with it in a way. And I'm not saying that like all of you are saying the same exact thing, but I think part of this like, part of what you're describing might not just be sevenishness, but also like this, need to be a little more boundaried and like social self-prez and self-prez social as like 
two stackings that are both sexual last have this degree of like inaccessibility. I think I've noticed that like the other stackings that have sexual higher, um, there's like this freer give and take of the self and of my essence and like how affected I am by the other. I don't know where I fall on this actually, because with what Malia was saying, I can't really relate. Like I, I don't, I don't really love having a thousand acquaintances and then I don't have a tribe. Like I, I, I know that Malia has a tribe because you know, I'm part of it, but I think that, um, at least I hope I'm part of it. Um, but I, I do think that like, I've always been someone who had a smaller amount of really, really intentional close friends. Um, even like all through growing up, I never was a popular person. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't like the social butterfly that like ran around to everybody I knew and just had all the friends. Like I actually wasn't that person. I always had like two or three best friends. And I mean, I moved like a thousand times growing up and, and in each place I was, I always had that small tight knit group. Um, and so even through college, like I, I can't really say that I relate to having like a, a vast number of more or let's say less intentional fr- like friendships or relationships. And I think like Jack, as you were speaking, I probably fall somewhere in the middle because I don't fall on the side of, of like, how, how is that enough for you? Like, I can't, I, I don't understand that um, because I do, but it's just, I think my natural tendency has been to find my tribe and then to stick with those people. And I don't really even feel a need to all, to go outside of it. Like I'm really good. If I have like three friends that are really good, I, I don't really need anybody else. No, I think that's interesting. And I think like, honestly, that is not an issue of the sexual instinct so much as an, as an, is an issue of like sevenish being like sevenishness being filtered through you being self-pressed dominant Hannah versus Malia being social dominant because like her gluttony is being filtered through this lens of like, connect, 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 no matter what priority. So like really like neurosis just goes back to feed the dominant instinct, no matter what. So like for Malia, the seventh neurosis is a learned pattern in order to meet that primary need of connect and meet. But Hannah, your, your sevenishness is probably filtered through self-pres means, presuming that you're self-pres social, which could be, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty dang sure that you're that stacking. But it's interesting. That's so intriguing. And I also wonder like, how much of that is just part of like being an introvert according to your assessment versus being an extrovert? I think I definitely relate to what Malia was saying. Um, you know, like for me, I, yeah, I definitely feel, I feel like I gained a lot of um, confidence through the amount of like friends that I had and like people I could get to like me, I guess. So like as much as I wish that I could say that this wasn't true, like when, when I got like in high school, I got like voted on to be like homecoming and prom court and stuff. And then like at college, I got voted on to be in the homecoming court. And like, I won so badly to act like I didn't even care about that. But like, it meant, it meant like so much to me and it really did. And it's like kind of sad to admit that honestly, I'm like, I'm like ashamed of that. But also like, it means like so much to know that like, I was able to connect with so many people, you know, and like, so many people were able to like so many people liked me, I guess, you know, and I was popular and like that, like, uh, like, I like hate saying that. <laughs> Thanks. <Anna>. But, 
yeah no but yeah it's it it did it like that means a lot to me um yeah okay going off of this i want to bring up uh this uh common narrative i hear about the seven in relation to this conversation about like this feeling that sevens are or at least i hear this a lot people be like well how are you a seven like sevens are really like ditzy and shallow and like kind of aloof or whatever and and they're like there's the stereotype that sevens are like not very smart or whatever but i i feel kind of one offended <laughs> but also too like i was kind of surprised to hear that sevens were a head type and that a lot of the gluttony comes from this like intellectual stance that a lot of people don't see so have you guys heard that narrative and like how would you respond to that being sevens yeah I think it's crazy because for me personally, I think I'm one of the most like emotionally intelligent people that I know. And I know like a lot of people don't think that that is like a, um, you know, like that's not really like a type of um, intelligence that you think of at the first time. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people would be like, oh, like my GPA was really good. But no, like I think I think like our ability to win other people over and our ability to like um socialize so well is is um yeah I think it it depletes that narrative that like we're dumb you know what I'm saying like I don't I've I've been like growing up in high school and stuff like people would always like joke around and say that like oh I was like the dumb one maybe it was because my best friend was like super super smart but I I think my level of emotional intelligence is way 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 higher than most people's and just like not not being very humble but like (laughs) you know what I'm saying yeah also I would say that like the amount of thinking we do is more as well maybe not more but just constant there is never a moment when I'm not analyzing creating in my mind like thinking about all of these things and that's why I think sevens can feel so did see from an outside perspective because we can get lost in our own thoughts in our own in our own mental landscapes and um fantasies we're creating in our head like I can't tell you how many times I will just look like something someone will say something and I'll immediately have this entire like Vin Diesel like six movie saga that I'm creating in my head and I just look off into the distance and I can see everything happening and I'm just like making up the soundtrack and like that one scene in the end where everyone's crying and I'm like oh I can see it it's so good (laughs) and of course I'll like never make this movie I mean maybe god willing but um I think Vin Diesel will probably be too old by then but um yeah like I'm I'm off like making up this movie and everyone's like oh Malia she's kind of in her own world doing her own thing whatever and little do they know but I have this I've concocted like in one minute like the most highly watched Paramount picture that anyone's ever going to see (laughs) and no one knows you know I think even this conversation is like evidence of the the biggest thing from like the biggest takeaway I guess I have about sevens as part of the head center because even what Malia is saying is like Vin Diesel might be old and dead by then, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's funny to me that I think that is like, people forget that sevens are head types because that heady response is like dipping too, it's too shallow into mental space. Doesn't mean that sevens are necessarily shallow people, but like you contrast it with five and five is like 
down at the bottom. And so it's like overdoing mental space and like going too deep on too few concepts. And seven is doing like just the opposite of that, you know? And I think that's why five is like the growth point for seven because seven is then willing to like minimize these shallow dips into all the intellectual like mind spots and instead like limit the options, limit the spaces they're engaging with and like go really deep on certain areas and how that like, that is actually kind of a form of like limitation that might feel threatening to the seven, but it's probably actually good for them. I will also say that this is a running theory, so I, I don't know if this is completely accurate for everybody, but I think for me, I've realized that a lot of my seven-ishness of that like imaginary world, some, something that you were mentioning, Malia, um, like the fantasy, like um, intelligence. I, I almost imagine like a fantasy intelligence um, in your imagination and emotional intelligence, which was what Connor was talking about. A lot of those things that people see as ditzy for me actually comes off as a defense mechanism because I'm extremely sensitive. And I think I didn't realize that until like my senior year in high school when I was so frustrated with the way that some of my closest friends in high school that I really thought loved and knew me, which they did, but they were convinced that I was super naive, that I was just out of the world, that I was like bubbly and spacey and that I was distracted all the time. And what that comes off as in language is intelligent or stupid. But in reality, a lot of that persona was coming out of me because I didn't know how to handle my own emotion in situations. And so I think for me, like, the process of going to a new place with new friends, with a new school, like almost like a fresh start. Everybody gets a fresh start when they go to college. For, for me, it was, okay, how do I accurately and truthfully display myself in a personality that is accurate to how I actually am inside? Because I think that for me, like that happy-go-lucky, all sunshines and rainbows, flowers, everyone's happy all the time that's really what I want to be. Like, that's really the person that I actually desire to be all the time inside. And so when people praise me for it, I feel like I have to keep it going. Like I have to keep it running. When as, whereas actually like, I'm probably one of the more sensitive people in my entire family. And so being someone who was, you know, seemingly steady and always positive, I was the person that people were then drawn to when they were in crisis mode. And so I could be the person that defended other people from their sensitivity. But in reality, for me, like what I really needed was to be sensitive and actually have someone give me the space and the room to say, wow, I see that you're seemingly happy all the time. Is that the truth? Right? Because that's actually what, that's not the truth. The, the truth was I have emotions. I have a whole spectrum of emotions I felt sadness just like my sister. I felt grief just like my mom. I felt disappointments and anger like my dad. But I was the one in the family that was choosing to put off the defense of everything's fine, sunshines and rainbows. So I think we talked a little bit about what growth looks like for us. I mean, moving to five, um, we talked about kind of minimizing our mental insight uh into like deeper things fewer and deeper things to counteract the gluttony 
Um, Connor, you were talking about that a little bit. I, I mentioned it with like my experience with learning how to narrow down people in my life and not narrow down for the sake of like getting rid of people, but narrow it down for the sake of like being intentional. Uh, I think it's a move to five, but I'm curious to see uh, or to hear from you guys um, and talk a little bit about the move to one in stress and like being critical and what that looks like in your life. Well, I think this is accentuated again, mostly because I'm really affected by other people's emotion by other people around me. And so in a situation where the stress is coming from relationships or from other people, I tend to go into like rational mode. Like everything must be rational. Everything must have a purpose. Everything has to be understood. And if something isn't understood, it's bad. Like it, it is causing miscommunication. And so I think for me, the one comes out when everything must be perfect. Like the relationship needs to be fixed. And if it's not fixed, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. It's not right. And I don't want anything that isn't right in the relationship. Right. So it kind of comes back to this, like my ego coming to the head and saying, okay, um, something isn't right here you got to fix it and we have to fix it on our, on our own. And if you're not willing to fix it, then there's something wrong with you, not wrong with me or my perception of the, of the situation. And so that's quite ugly. Like that's really ugly when it comes out. And so learning, I mean, that's obviously been a huge thing for me is learning how to see that in myself and almost like pull it apart and ask myself why I'm doing that. Um, because oftentimes it will come into this like like meticulous unfolding of people and like questioning of people's motives and questioning of people's intentions in a relationship, especially like in that kind of stress and, and, and in order to make it right or make them right. And so that, that actually is seeing people as objects and not as human beings with emotions and like history with me. And so that kind of goes out the window when it becomes about like a fact game. Right. Um, and that's, it's just, it's not sensitive. It's not kind. It's not gentle. It's not, um, it's not someone I want to be. I also think that in stress, like just circumstantial stress, like in just our, my normal, my everyday life, it come everything has to be like structured, which actually isn't very me. <laughs> um, and so I, I can kind of tell when I'm super stressed because all of a sudden everything has to have an order and a place and a time and a thing and a, and a title, including again, a, including relationships. Like I start structuring my relationships like it's the end of the world when in reality, like that's just not who I am. I, I am free. I'm, able to be um, the person that um, I've been made to be without all of this like extra boundaries and unnecessary like binding that I put it on when I get super stressed. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would echo everything that Hannah just said. Yeah. I think when I'm able to be spontaneous and be, um, like carefree, like you're saying, um, I think that's when I feel my most um, happy and fulfilled and most like myself. 
Um, so in times when like I have a lot of assignments to do or, or I'm just starting a new job or, you know, something's going on with a close friend. Um, yeah. Like you're saying, I, I feel like I'm, I start to try to turn into this person who has everything organized. I like might even like clean my room that week just to like, feel like, okay, I'm an adult. I have everything figured out. Like, you know what I'm saying? And um, yeah, no matter how big or small, like the situation is, it's like, I can see myself not feeling um, sort, sort of changing, like my personality changing sort of like how happy I am even like that week. Like if I have a lot going on, like it'll affect um, and I'm sure this happens for everyone, but it feels like I was saying like a little bit intensified. Like um, if I have a lot of assignments, like I, t- I sort of like turn into a different person. You know, I, I feel like I have to like do the opposite to make sure that like I'm going to be okay to like protect myself. I think in, in stressful situations or in like unhealth, I become very short. I become very short with myself and with other people. And I think that's where most of the criticism comes in like I very much want to attribute blame somewhere and I will often attribute it at myself but in a sense of pride of like if if I'm to blame at least I can fix it otherwise like if it's someone else's if I'm blaming someone else it's it's for the purpose of like not having to think about it well that's not really my my issue but I don't stick around long enough to see it to get better you know that's where my my criticism comes in it's like either that's your problem and I don't need to be around for it to work out or it's all on me and I need to hold myself up in order to figure it out as well so in both situations there's this like inwardness that comes with the stress it's like when I'm really stressed out about a lot of work or whatever I will like go I will get really really inward and I might not even be productive, but I will just like shut myself off and be like, I don't get to do all of these fun things because I don't deserve that. Like I have to focus and finish and do this thing before I get to get a reward or or whatever. So there's this like self-punishment that I think comes with the, the stress to one that's like, I'm going to punish myself. I'm going to be my own God for a second. And like, declare rewards and declare um, punishment in my own time because I know it's right and I know it's wrong and like I deserve this or that and I think it's kind of like the the inverse of what the seventh neurosis is which is I know what's good for me and I'm gonna go get it when I'm in stress it's the same thing it's like except for it's like I know what's what I should be doing and I'm going to punish myself. Like I know the perfect punishment for me and I'm going to give it to myself. And that's where that self-criticism comes in really, really harshly. And rest kind of goes out the window. Yeah. Because even if you're like holding yourself up, I'm not doing it restfully, you know, like I'm not doing it intentionally. I'm doing it. It's like prolonged and it's gross and it's not productive. And it usually like, I end up needing someone to snap me out of it in, in the end anyway. Like it, it's not, it doesn't help, you know, like I don't often get it done. It's, it's usually when I, when I pull my, when someone pulls me out of that and then I talk to someone else and they're like, why are you doing this? And then we go do something fun or do something like actually helpful. And then I actually can be productive because 
wallowing in your own self-criticism is an endless cycle. It doesn't really do anything because there's no new information. You know, there's no, there's no new news that is going on. It's just like constantly degrading in a downward spiral, which sounds really um, intense and emotional. But like, I think that is the, the harsh reality of the happy-go-lucky seventh neurosis. That like when it does come crashing down, which it does sometimes, like it really comes crashing down. Like it really, really does. And I feel like it will last for longer than it needs to sometimes for me. Like, like when it comes, like, like a really low and I'll be like in that phase of like, okay, I need to get my stuff together, like organize everything for like a month, even after like everything is done with and like the situation is over right? But then now it's like, okay, that can't happen again. So I'm going to organize everything to make sure that doesn't happen again. But then it does happen again. (laughs) And then it's the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Wow. That's encouraging, Malia. Thank you. Well, sorry, but that's maybe we can be prepared for it. I don't know. I I really haven't figured it out, but yeah. I don't think we ever do, you know? It's like perpetually trying to build a sandcastle. Like, I feel like that's what the seventh neurosis is. It's like, and, and then it gets washed away by the water, like every ninth wave. And yet you still build it in the exact same place. You're like, this is it. (laughs) Because somehow I believe that I can build it right here and that if I will it hard enough the waves won't come close to me but I'm not gonna like try and do it differently I'm just gonna keep building like very positively I'm gonna keep building the same sandcastle in the exact same place and be like you will bend to me waves (laughs) that's how I feel (laughs) I I have a question um just because that sort of points to the issue of like sevens as as um, a thinking type with lots of expectations. I would love to hear Connor and Hannah, what you guys think about just like sevenness as a, as a tool that, that becomes more focused on like the expectation of things and the actual engagement of things, because that's like central to seven is this idea that like you experiencing, like you experiencing it um, is lost so quickly because there's already something else to be expected. Like, can you talk about what that's like in your life and how, you guys try to like be more present or whatever, because I think a lot of sevens will be like sevens are often the ones that are saying like, be present. Um, but there are the ones actually kind of like running beyond because they're so excited for whatever's next. It's like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that or your experience or whatever. So this is probably my least favorite part of myself. <laughs> I hate this about myself. I hate that I have heard this more times than I'd like to admit from people you just, you seem a little distracted. What's going on? Um, you know, what are you thinking about? You, you seen somewhere else, like, you know, I'm over here, like in, you know, in rude, like, rude times, people have been just like questioning my, my motives, um, for even being with somebody. And, um, that, that really hurts because I think that's just like the opposite of the kind of person I want to be. And I don't, I definitely don't doubt that that's how I come across sometimes. 
And so I want to, like, I always try to acknowledge the fact that that person's feelings are really valid because it's probably true. Like it's probably happening. I just don't think of it like that. And it's, it's been a process of trying to become more aware of the fact that like, what forms of communication, how do I act, actually learning how to be an active listener? Like I have done serious research people. I have actually done like reading about how to make people feel more loved in conversation because I str- I have struggled with that. And it's not from a lack of desiring to be in their conversation. It's not in a lack of a desire to know the person or even love the person and be close to them. It's just something in my aura or something that makes people feel like I'm uncomfortable when I'm actually really comfortable and I love the moment. And so I don't ever want to be like giving off those vibes. And so I've like in the last probably couple of years, I've definitely tried to work at that intentionally. Um, And I will say like, we reap what we sow. Um, that has, that has paid off actually. Um, and I've seen the result of that in my relationships, um, solely because when you put in the effort in a place where that's, where there's challenge for you, um, there's real impact. People can see a difference. And I think that people even have commented like, well, you just, you seem more present. And I'm thinking in my head, actually, I've been this way the entire time. I've just been consciously working the entire conversation to make you feel like you are being listened to. Um, and that, you know what? Like that is perfectly valid. If that is the way it goes, I'm good with that because I want people to feel loved. But at the same time, it's, it is not coming from a small amount of work on my end. Yeah. Oh, my word. Do you guys know that scene from Parks and Rec when um, Andy is like getting directions from Leslie and he's like, she's like explaining it and he's literally just like, he starts dozing off and like looking like while she's talking. And like, (laughs) I I genuinely feel like that is me. Like, I do that. I do that. I literally just did it like 15 minutes ago in this interview. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like, yeah what you're saying is so true like learning to be an active listener has been huge but I think the hardest part for me is when like I'm about to go do a a big trip and then like I get super excited like leading up to the trip and then once we get there I just want to like blast through the entire trip as fast as I can experience it all and then when it's over I'm like what the heck just happened you know and then it's like okay well now we got to go find another trip but I think like the, the thing that is I'm still trying to figure out and I definitely don't have it figured out is just like that, that idea that the next best thing is, is not, um, it's not real, right? Like taking that idea out of my head that like the next best thing is not always going to be true and like being present and like, this sounds like so cliche, but like just trying to focus on like what is going on right now and like the people who you're around the place you are whatever it is like once you can just like make a pattern in your head of trying to think about what's going on right now what are the good things about what's going on right now and like focusing on that I feel like just like continually doing that helps you to um yeah live in the moment more and stop that that future orientation right like trying to deplete those patterns and and 
is something that's been really helpful. I will say that the biggest like practical tool I have used to keep myself present has been gratitude. And I, and I don't mean like thanking someone for something random. Like I, I mean, actually incorporating it into my day, like a pattern and a ritual. Um, if I can stop in a day and ask myself like genuinely, what has been something that I have been really grateful for today? Like in, in this moment in time, not in what I'm looking forward to tomorrow and not what I was regretting from yesterday. Cause that's also just living in the past, but like being present is actually practicing that like act of gratitude. And that has helped me immensely to stay, to keep my like mind, spirit, body, like all of that, all of myself, um, in the place that I am now, um, that's really helped me. I think the, the biggest thing that I've realized is that the seventh neurosis really loves life, but it doesn't always stop to live it. Like the seventh neurosis is running a wild being like, these are all the things I can think about doing. And wouldn't that be great? But how many times when you're actually doing it, that you're, you're living in the moment and Honestly, Connor, what you said about the trip is so real. Oh my gosh. It, I hate that. Like I will, I remember so many times when I was like on a tour somewhere or you're like driving on a mountainside in like, I, I remember driving on a mountainside in Croatia, looking out the beautiful ocean and me thinking like, I need to take a video of this because I'm already preparing the story. I'm going to tell people when I get home, like that thought process is the worst because you're like why do I need to take a video and of course later I'm kind of like glad I took the video you know what I'm saying <laughs> but like don't take don't only don't exclusively take take videos and take pictures like there's some moments where I just want to remember them and and I want to live I remember I want to remember living them not just remember the story I thought of when I was there to tell people um, because that's how we fake living life is that our stories and our thoughts embody this whole, like, look at me living. But so many times we get stuck in our own heads that we, we're not actually living it when it's, when it's occurring, we're living it beforehand, we're living it afterwards. But when it, we have the chance in the moment to be on the, on the mountainside in Croatia, it's like, we're not there. That's, yeah that's like so quintessential i think and that's like that's the point of seven is that it's like it's the it's the headspace that is like substituting the thought about the, like the, the mental experience of living for actually living and it just like as a as a crazy disclaimer like right before this i was listening to an album for the first time through by porter robinson that just came out um the album's called nurture and the last song is called trying to feel alive and I listened to the lyrics and I was like, yo, this is a seven-ish song. And I put it on the seven playlist, which is so funny. Yeah, real quick, before we move on, the one thing that I was going to say is that like one of the things that, that I did that was like huge in helping me so much was I completely deleted like all of my social media um, because I realized that like a lot of the times when I was going on trips or like doing, you know, doing something fun with my friend, like whatever, on a weekend or something my main focus was like, okay, I gotta like, I gotta take a picture of this. I gotta like take a video, document this so that like I can, it's kind of like, like a, 
a memory box for all of my experiences because I know that I just like zip through them all. But when I take away that option, I'm just like, okay, I actually have to like stop and like look at the mountains that I'm riding. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I have to, I have to actually like feel the water on the boat that I'm riding. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not just like, I no longer have like a memory box of like everything that I can just, everything that I've done. It's like, I got to actually feel this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let the record state Connor Keim and I are the same person inside. Um, I just, I literally just got back on social media after like three months of it being deleted completely everything, especially Instagram for me, because I just love pictures and I'm super visual. So everything on Instagram is super stimulating for me. I'm like, I could scroll on Instagram forever and be like perfectly happy. Um, but I will say that that was probably one of the most rewarding things I have done for myself in the last few years, like not even exaggerating, having the freedom. I mean, I remember telling Jack like two months in, like I'm never redownloading social media ever again. Like I'm never going back. This is never happening. Um, I did have to redownload it for um, a job. So, you know, there was some purpose in that, which is good, but, and obviously everything in, um, moderation is totally fine. So I'm, I'm obviously back on social media, but I do think that that was such an interesting process for me because I realized that I felt this weight of like carrying other people's eyes. And I don't know how to say that other than that way. Like I felt like everything I saw other people needed to experience it with me. And if it wasn't experienced with me, it was like less than. Um, and so I had to actually practice like consciously in my head in those moments where I would have just like flipped out my phone and even just, you know, taken a picture for later to post or like taken a video really quick for a story later um, to say, to stop myself and actually say, okay, why are you doing that? Like, is it because you want to go back later and look at it because you loved the moment? Um, or was it because you needed the validation of someone sliding up on your story and being like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And then felt like, oh, wow, yes, my life is worth something. Like, I don't know how else to say that, but having someone else with you in that experience isn't always necessary. And it took me deleting social media to really realize that about my could like obsession with like other people validating the beauty of my life. And I just did not need that anymore. And deleting it was such a freedom. Okay. This is crazy. Cause I don't know if it's a seven thing or if it's just like our culture thing, but I like absolutely got destroyed by social media in the same way where I was like, I am, I am living through social media. It's not even that I I'm like using it too much. It was like, I was like, con I was consumed with it. Not, not like I, not that I even posted a lot, but just like the constant stimulation of, of social media and the constant idea, like, I won't have friends if I don't have social media was like all over my brain. So in high school, my friends, like just decided to delete their social media. And I was like, wait, how do you No, you can't do that. Like, you can't do that. And they were like, no, you can't. And so I did it for a month. And then I was like, you know what? When I left, no one cared. 
why why am I on there in the first place I went back on like after a month and I was like oh everyone's gonna like have dm'd me and like where are you literally no one cared literally no one so I decided like I feel so much worse and so much less present when I am seeking for this image to present this image or seeking stimulation and seeking friendship through a screen because it's still so lonely. So I deleted it junior year of high school and I didn't have it for like four years. Like I didn't touch social media for four years. And to this day, I'm, I am touch and go depending on like if I need it for a job and stuff, like you were saying, Hannah, but, um, but my relationship with, with social media was the same where I really needed to learn how to exist in the moment, not just take pictures for the moment to show other people or whatever. And to honestly be like, if you want to be my friend, you have to actually speak to me rather than just like my pictures. I mean, I came into college with no social media and people were like, oh my gosh, like, are you on Instagram? And I was like, no, I didn't speak to 90% of those people again. Like, why would I want you on my social media? I don't talk to you at all. Like, you don't care about my life. So why are you liking my pictures? And so that was so good for me. And it's still like such a good practice for me to delete it and kind of be okay. And not just be okay with not showing people my life, but also like it substitutes community for me sometimes in my brain because I can get sucked into the world of Instagram and not leave my house for like days because my brain is pretending like I'm living even though I'm not living. And I'm not engaging with other people. I'm not, I'm not engaging with my friends. Like I won't FaceTime my friends or or go outside because I feel like I'm filled up by, by Instagram or by Snapchat or whatever. But the thing is like, they're never enough. And that's what keeps you going back. You keep going back to them because it's not the same. Your brain just tells you that they're the same. And so that is such a good practice. Yeah. It's like sugary cereal. And the fact that you have one bowl of sugary cereal, you can't have one bowl of Lucky Charms. Are you kidding me? You have to have like five or nothing. It doesn't operate like, like normal food. It's like crazy, but it's, it's so true. It's so addictive. It's a great metaphor. Yeah. I feel like, honestly, guys, this, I feel like this has really helped me understand better what headspace is like and what that means. Like, to be a seven as a head type, which is interesting. And it's, I appreciate the vulnerability you guys are sharing. So thank you. So thanks guys so much for joining us in this episode. Hannah, Connor, thank you so much for being a part of this, our first interview ever. It was so fun to talk to you guys and hear from you. And you can find us online other places. So Hannah, tell us, tell us where. Oh my goodness. It was so fun being with you guys, but you can find us on Instagram at not my type <laughs> You nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> no, that's great. Connor, where can we where it. can we where can we find us otherwise? Um yeah, if you guys don't have Instagram or just want to send us an email, um you can email us at notmytypeenneagram at gmail.com. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, in the meantime, also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review, subscribe, do all of the things, do that five-star-ness, whatever you want to do. We would appreciate it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, bye guys. <laughs> bye. Let me do the outro music. <laughs> I love his interpretation of the. I guess it's you think it close. sounds like. <laughs> like. Is it? It's do 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 do. What is it? That sounds like that sounds like Harry Potter. Do 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 do. No, it kind of sounds like a like a sci-fi. If like there was an alien TV show that was run by like a penny whistleist. Okay, that's such a specific scenario. How does Malia always know exactly what it sounds like? I, the thing is, like, you know what I'm talking about, though. It's accurate. We do. We do know what you're talking about.